1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I wanted to ask a question today. While you do that, I want you to think about something. I want, I want to ask you today, how many of you have been a member of a local church somewhere else besides Temple Baptist Church? How many of you? Most all of you, right? And the others of you couldn't get in those churches probably, so you just came back. There are a lot of us that have had all kinds of connections with other churches in our lives. This week, I was uh, thinking about my home church that I grew up in at Birmingham Ridge Baptist up in South Hillo. There I was for many years, and that's really uh, when I went to Sunday school as a child, and my pastor invested in me, and I remember those days very fondly. And then I was able to lead music for a little while in another small little church, and then four other churches now that I've pastored. So basically six churches that I've had a part of. And uh, all of them played a role in who I am. Wouldn't you say that the churches that you were a part of, positively and negatively, played a part in who you are, even to this day? It reminds me of what Paul has said earlier to the Corinthians, that there are some who plant and there are some who water, but yet God is the one who gives the increase. In other words, God uses all of those different people in ministry at different moments of your life to bring you to the place you need to be. It's also interesting to be able to hear about what's going on in some of those churches later on. Like if we go back and we're able to pick up the phone and talk to somebody that may be in that church uh, that was there when you were and to hear them describe the things that are going on. It's interesting to hear the reports that you might get from those churches. I was, again, taking inventory this week and I realized that of all the churches that I'm serving, that most all of them are doing better now than they did when I was there. Did, did I say that out loud? Did I? Don't get any ideas, okay? But it is interesting to hear what they're doing and, and how God continues to work in their lives. And to be reminded that, again, God uses you. Maybe you were there for a certain moment and you taught Sunday school or you uh, played the piano or perhaps as a child you were growing up and being a part of children's choir and other things that God used you for a moment and he used that church for a moment. And, it's, and to be able to see the great connection that God has in his kingdom, that it's bigger than just one church, but it, you have many believers working together in local bodies to make a difference for the kingdom. And it's interesting to be able to hear. Now, every now and then you will admit that when you're talking to those churches or to people who are in those churches, things may not be going as well as they were at one time. I would even venture to guess that today in our society, most of those churches are not doing quite as well. I mean, even the statistics themselves say that 80% or even more, perhaps 90% of churches, have plateaued or they're on a decline. So perhaps when you call them and you hear about things, instead of rejoicing, there are times when your heart feels broken and burdened. You've been there before? If you have, that's exactly where Paul is as he writes these words. Because he was there at the church at Corinth and he had been there 18 months ministering among them, planning them, teaching them, trying to grow them, investing in them. And then as he goes about his ministry, he hears what's going on. God, God always uses Paul in different churches' lives 
And Paul always seems to keep up with them. Whether he's writing them a letter or he's praying for them or he's receiving reports or he's coming by to visit them again, he always seems to keep up with those churches. And here he's received the reports. And the report for the church at Corinth is not a positive report. We've already seen there are divisions based around personalities. There is immorality that has been left unchecked in the church. And now Paul says that one believer is actually engaging another believer in a court of law. I want you to see what he says beginning in verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, Paul has been astonished already. Paul is has seemed to adopt indignation into his life because he looks at this church, a church that he loves, by the way. This is a church that he loves and he hopes will grow in Christ. And yet he has seen them, as I said, take part in division, carnal divisions. He has seen them allow immorality to go on unchecked. He sees them in all of these different ways and now he sees them actually taking their brother and their sister in Christ to a court of law. And what does he say? Well, I think first he looks at them and he says, stop it, stop it. I mean, basically, verse 1, he says, dare any of you. Notice the first word in that verse. It's, always, it's also the first word in the original language, dare. Now, Paul is brave here, okay? I wouldn't dare Baptist to do much of anything. But here he is, he says, dare, a strong word. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Hear his anger, his righteous indignation here, that they would do such a thing. The Jews themselves would not do such a thing. The Jews had this custom, this rule, that you would not go before the Gentiles in order to be judged. But the Jewish courts would handle things themselves. Now Paul takes that mentality. He's going to flesh it out in a more Christian way in a moment. But he says, how in the world could you be doing this? In that first verse, it's almost like he's saying, stop it. Stop it. Isn't it great that you have some folks every now and then, some leaders in the church, that can stand and look when things are not going the way they should and just simply say, stop it. I mean, there are times in the church's life we need to hear that, right? Would you agree with me today? There are times in the church's life when people need to stand and say, hey, there's got to be a stop to this. This is not right. Now, you can say it very boldly. You can say it very gently. But it needs to be said. 
When these kinds of things go on, well, some of you say it's easy for Paul because he was the apostle, he was the one who planted them. And also remember, Brother Reggie, he's 100 miles away. He's hundreds of miles away. It's easy to say stop it when you're gone, right? To write a little note and say stop it. But there needs to be those moments where people look at what's going on and they respond in a biblical way and they say, look, this needs to be stopped. I'm thankful for those kind of people. I'm thankful for pastors that can do that. I'm thankful for deacons that can do that. I've been in the midst of a few uh, heated deacons meetings before. Not many. I will tell you, God has always allowed me to serve wonderful churches that had wonderful deacons. But a time or two, I've seen individuals get heated. I, re I remember this one church that I served, my very first pastorate. We had four deacons. That was it. You would think that would be easy, right? Just dealing with four? <laughs> there seemed to be always one that disagreed with another. There was always the third that didn't care what was happening. And then you had the fourth that seemed to be able to look at the others and bring a sense of peace and calm. Indeed, he could look and he could say in his own wise way he could say stop it and as a young preacher boy back then I was as a young preacher boy I so appreciated that man who could stand and simply say stop it. this is not what we're called to do this is not what we're called to be I really believe God is still looking for those kind of individuals in our churches today who would stand in moments of unrighteousness. They would stand and they would speak righteousness. And they would say that this has to come to an end. Paul looks at this group and he has righteous indignation. He says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Now, Paul is not condemning all of the court system of the New Testament. He's not condemning that at all. There will be moments in Paul's life where he will actually appeal to the court. What he's addressing here is specifically one believer taking another believer to court in the pagan courts, in the pagan system of things. And he's going to continue to work through it and show you why that you should stop it, and then, and then secondly, how you should settle it. Notice verse 2, he says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? He looks at this group and he says, Stop what you're doing, stop it, and settle it. Settle it. Settle the case. And he says, settle it by the wisdom in which you are given. Notice he does have a different take than the Jewish culture of the day. He says, do you not know that the saints would judge the world? His reasoning is, is that one day, according to what Jesus had taught and according to the revelation that had been given, that one day the saints themselves will join with Christ in a governing, judging role of the world. That's what he says. That one day. 
one day we will be able to rule with him. That's the New Testament witness, right? So Paul begins to reason from the greatest to the least here. He says, if you're able to judge all of the world, if God's going to give you that responsibility and you're going to be there with Christ, he says, if you can do that, why can you not take care of trivial matters? If you can't take up the eternal matters, and you will, he says, then how in the world should you not be able to take up the trivial matters? That's really what he says. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest? The word there is one to, that speaks of the most trivial of issues of the day. He says, do you not know that we shall judge angels in verse 3? You didn't know that, did you? Not only are we judging the world, he says, and that you have a role to play in the governing system of God as he brings all things to culmination, he says even the angels themselves will be subjected to you. Now, that, that's, that's a difficult one, isn't it? When you think of angels, what do you think about? No, not your grandchildren, not... But they're so precious. No. Angels. When you look at them in the scripture, they are the messengers of God. They take his messages. They carry out his will. They can bring judgment. They can bring healing. Angels can minister, and yet they can destroy. You see angels, and what Paul says here is that in some way in the end times, he says that even the angels will be judged, and that you'll have that governing responsibility as well. He says, if you can judge the world and if you can judge the angels, he says, why can't you take care of these things? These trivial things that have been presented to you. He says that you ought to do it by the wisdom that you've been given. The wisdom that you've been given. Verse 4 He continues on. He says, If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed? Same word as those who have been despised earlier found in this book. He says, Those who have been despised by the church to judge. Even the weakest, he says basically, should have the wisdom to speak into these trivial matters. He says, I say this to your shame. He says, I can't believe, I can't believe that you, who God has appointed to be involved in the greatest kingdom, those who are going to be involved in the governing system of God's return, those who are going to be involved in judging itself, that you just can't handle these things. That you've got to appeal to the Gentile pagan courts. He says you ought to be able to do it by the wisdom you've been given, not only as demonstrated in your judging skills, but also in the, in the very idea that you could take even the most despised and they could inform the decisions. Why? Because all of us, all of us have the Holy Spirit of God living within us, those of us who are believers, right? Would you agree with that? 
Later on, Paul will flesh it out, even later in this chapter, about how the Spirit resides within us. And if the Spirit resides, he says, isn't there at least one wise man? If we are spiritual people, if God is spoken to us and is residing within us, isn't there one person that could settle this? It's great to find people who have wisdom, isn't it? And discernment. And to find them in the church. Sometimes I thought we need a committee. I guess it's the Baptist blood in me or something. But we need a committee of those who have been gifted with that spirit of discernment. Now, I know all of us need to test and try the spirit. Some of you are going to lecture me already on my theology. But it does speak to those who have a special giftedness of the Spirit to discern and to speak wisdom. All of us should have some wisdom. And God has said, if we lack wisdom, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to ask of Him to have that wisdom. But I am thankful, again, that there are those specifically that can speak wisdom into us and that are people who can discern. I've seen these people before. They're not critical people. Now, listen, there are those who are critical in the church. A guy came to me after one service one time, and he said, Brother Reggie, um, I want you to know that I really do believe God has given me the gift of spiritual criticism. <laughs> I kid you not. He said that to me. I'm not quite sure God's the one that gave you that gift. You know, but there, it's not criticism, but there is discernment and wisdom that God allows in the church. And yes, as I said, all of us have wisdom, but there are certain ones that are gifted. I'm thankful for those people because those people are the ones that can, that can help you navigate through ministry, that can, that can help you see the truth when it is under attack by outside forces i've had those people and i still have those people who are able to look and say reggie you you better be careful of this or you better watch this and and it's like they have this special spirit well they do they have the spirit of god that gives them this special manifestation of discernment in their lives and paul's reasoning is here is you got to have somebody else right I mean, isn't that the reason you live in a community of faith? Is so that each one can practice his or her spiritual gift and make a difference, contribute to the overall family? Isn't that the reason we're to... I mean, yes, we're together, we're, we're to worship, we're to go out, but we're to use our spiritual gifts for one another and for those who are outside the church to make a difference in their lives. And he says, isn't there one person that could settle this for you? That if you just went to them and talked to them that they could settle it because they have wisdom. He says, you ought to settle it by the wisdom that you've been given and you ought to settle it for the testimony that you've been given. Notice he seems to be totally amazed that they would do this before unbelievers. Verse 6, But brother goes to law against brother, and that 
before unbelievers. He cannot believe this, that they would take their issues out into the public domain and somehow, consequently, injure their witness. They'd do it before unbelievers. I think we must be careful as a people always that we do not take things to the community that should be kept within the family of God. Things things that would injure our testimony in this community and beyond. And isn't that what Paul's saying? look, Look the way he says this actually. Actually, he says this in verse 7. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Did you get what he said? He said, it's already a failure for you. It doesn't matter if you win before that public tribunal. You may win material goods. You may do whatever. But it is already a failure for you and for the church because you have so stained the witness of Christ. Basically, you've taken your court case before these public tribunals and you've said, you've confessed one way or the other that we as the church, we do not have the wisdom that we should have to take care of this and we are dependent upon such pagan tribunals to offer justice. Is that what he says? And it's going to injure the witness of the church. Now, let me say this here. Remember, he is specifically addressing a Christian suing another Christian. Right? He's not condemning all type of legal action. He's not condemning court cases. He is simply, in this case, saying that a believer in one church should not take another believer... To court. Well, how about the people that are non-believers? There is a court system and a justice system for a reason. But what Paul says is that believers ought to be different. I'm so proud I can preach that here now because I don't know anybody suing anybody else. And maybe this would prevent those other churches I have been in. This has happened. And I remember the pain that it brought to the family of God and the stain that it brought upon the church of the Lord Jesus. People in the community would say, How in the world? I thought they were supposed to be Christian brothers. I thought they were supposed to be it. And I, I, would, I would hear it. It brings such a stain. Sometimes we are our worst enemies, aren't we? Sometimes, may I say this, and it's, it's being taped, I know, but I'm going to say this. Sometimes we do the dumbest things. In our churches, it crosses denomination. We do things that injure our witness before unbelievers. 
And then we wonder why in the world they wouldn't want to be a part of who we are. We should always seek to maintain a pure and clean testimony before a world that is seeking something much better than what they already have. We should offer them the good news of Christ and we should show how the good news of Christ not only brings people to salvation but how it directs our everyday lives, even our ethics themselves. We should be different. He says, you ought to be able to settle this. You ought to be able to take it to somebody. Because look, you think you're going to win and you're going to prove it. In the end, you will always lose, he says. He says, settle it. Even if you have to share it, he says. Notice again in verse 7 toward the latter part of that verse. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. We're going to flesh this out more as we go through this letter, but, you know, there are some greater greater ideas. There are some greater allegiances that we ought to have. There are some greater purposes that we ought to have in life. And really, Paul underscores this here. He says, what is it that you get cheated? I mean, is it that every now and then that you... Well, you know, this is is what I had coming to me. You know, it's okay every now and then to say, hey, it's okay. We're just going to go on from here. Yes, I may be materially cheated. But my world and my purpose is not based upon the things that I see here. I'm part of a different kingdom. What's so I'm cheated just a little bit? You, you want to talk about injustice? Let's talk about Jesus Christ on the cross. Remember, he didn't do anything to deserve such a horrific death. And yet he willingly chose, did he not, to suffer for us. Why? Because there are some greater purposes of life. There should be a greater purpose in our life, not to just stand up for our rights, but to extend to people the good news of Christ. If in some way my right may seem to be violated, If the gospel and the kingdom of Christ is advanced, may it ever be so. For God to receive the glory. He says, just share it. Just share it. Just give it over. Because you know what? May, May I point this out here? We as believers, we hold to this, do we not? That there is one great judge and final judge. And yes, there's going to be a judgment of all the world, but we also know as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the head of his body. And he has authority over all things. And he is the one that is able to see and reward and hold individuals accountable. You see, it's one of those things that I can say, hey, you know what? 
It's not worth it for the testimony of Christ. Because I also know that Christ is the true judge, knows who I am, he knows what is happening, and he himself will hold individuals accountable. Because I place myself in his hands, and not simply my own. So he says to him, stop it, settle it, share it. And then I love this part as we close. He says, just show it. Just show it. These are the verses I read to you last week. Verse 9 through verse 11. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. This is God in his holiness and his justice, he says. He says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And I could hear this letter being read across the congregation, and I could hear the congregation saying, Amen! He's nailing them. That's awesome! Said, listen to old Paul speak to us now. He started off on shaky ground by daring us, but now he's hitting the true guilty parties. And then as that individual stood and read Paul's letter that day, he came to verse 11 and he said, And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Did you hear that? Paul says that this is the way you were, but this is the way you are. All of you, you were just as guilty. And I was just as guilty. All of us, we were just as guilty as any fornicator or any adulterer or any murderer or any individual that was involved in greed. Any of us, and all of us, all of us were destined not to inherit the kingdom of God. But God washed us. He cleansed us. He sanctified us. He justified us. He worked in our lives. And because of that, what is Paul's argument here? You ought to show a difference in who you are. You ought to be different. You don't solve problems like the world solves problems. You don't take your, you don't take your case before the pagan tribunals, he says. You're different. And you ought to live differently. And you ought to show it to the culture that is around you. Because that is the greatest cause. Is to show Christ to a world that is lost and dying. And listen to me. In our community and in our nation today. There are many. There are many. If they do not repent... If they do not come to Christ, there are many who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those of us who were in that exact position ought to be, we ought to be struck with compassion and care and concern. And we ought to do whatever it takes, 
even if it is suffering some type of temporary injustice so that we can show them that we are different from what this world would offer them. We should show them. He says, first of all, you as a church, you stop it. You settle it. You share it if you have to, and then you show it. You show the grace and the good news of Christ to others. Because you are different people. I know that legally we have the opportunity to do certain things. Legally in our country today. But may I say to you that all things are not expedient or beneficial for the kingdom of God. Yes, we could be just like the world when we walked out of here. But God has called us to be different. And I want to challenge you today. This is just one simple example of how we should be different before the world. I want to challenge you that in each and every area of your life and my life, that we would show a difference so that we can exalt the name of Christ. Let's show it as we go forth this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the specific application of your word. Father, thank you for reminding us that even in the first century, even through the apostles' teaching and preaching and proclamation, even through the Spirit's work, there were still individuals who were fallen and broken and individuals who were growing in you. Thank you, Lord, that we can see in the Scripture that even the church at Corinth wasn't perfected yet. And Father, as you look at us at the temple, Lord, we recognize that we're not perfect yet. And there are areas of growth for all of us. But God, I pray that you would continue to challenge us. Help us to see the things that are truly important. And help us to live accordingly to your good news, your gospel. Father, this morning, for those who just need to be a part of this family and they need to come, Lord, encourage them. For those who need to go from this place and show that difference and start living for you, Lord, I pray they'd come to repentance today. God, speak to us now. Help us to be your people. Help us to be the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? So we have this hymn of invitation. Would you come as God calls you today?